Our sermon today will come from the book of Daniel, chapter 12, verses 5 through 13. So let's hear together from God's word as I read now from the text. Verse 5 says, under the inspiration of the Spirit, Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? Had I heard the man clothed in, and I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, he raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away from the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. We believe that you will strengthen our hearts. You will incline your ear to our longing. And so we ask now that you would teach us and guide us and instruct us. We pray this in the name of your Son, Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Well, Daniel has seen in finality something that has really struck him to the core. Last week, we saw that Daniel received his final vision by the river, and and in fact, his final vision of the book of Daniel. It was there that he suddenly saw a stunning figure that was a man clothed in linen, an angel from God revealing the future. With a lot of apocalyptic detail for us, there'd be wars coming in the future that was revealed to Daniel. Kings from the north and the south. And then God's people would be caught up in between these kingdoms. Not just accidentally, but oftentimes kings from the north or the south would very much attack God's people. Persecution was coming for the very people of God. The the last northern king we saw in chapter 11 a despised person who will defile God's temple and persecute God's people was an increasing powerful figure against God's own name and God's own people. In chapter 11, verse 36, and especially in verse 40, the angel shifts to the final king, the time of the end, as it's called. Now, the time of the end from our vantage point means the time in between God's first coming or Jesus's first coming, so think of his incarnation, and his final coming. So think about the end of the days. The time of the end, though, is the description for 
Well, where you and I are in the middle and where people after Jesus' ascension were and then people, maybe our own grandchildren, will be later too. First John is clear about this and as well as other New Testament books as describing the days that you and I are in as the last days. When we think of the final days or the last days, we often think of something that'll happen centuries from now or decades from now or maybe even a week from now, but we often don't place ourselves in the last days. But here we see in the midst of this vision, a little bit of clarity from God where remember, he's, he's almost pulling back the curtain for Daniel to see what's going on and Daniel is able to see not only what is going on, but also what is going to come. There were passages in this book leading us to an understanding of what the Messiah would bring. Remember, forgiveness and atonement. But also, there are times in these visions that will show what God's people will endure. And it's called persecution. In chapter 12, verse 1, it says, There shall be a time of trouble like never before. That's honestly what you and I can hope on coming our way. But the the text is also incredibly hopeful. It's not just gloom and doom, but it has has a giant bright spot on the end. Where in verse 1, it continues in chapter 12, that'll lead into our passage this morning, that at that time, meaning the very, very end, your people, meaning God's people, shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. This is the last day. The last day after the last days, meaning plural, the last day, that singular day is the resurrection day where God's kingdom finally arrives on earth and we will all be there as God's newly resurrected people. With this, God has a final scene though to expose to Daniel. And that's what our passage is this morning, verses 5 through 13 of chapter 12, the future of the church is clear. Before Christ's return, this is the future of the church, they will face intense global persecution. So here's the setup question for us before consuming the text a little bit. Knowing the past and knowing the future, how should you and I walk? How should you and I live? Maybe today as any other day, We're thinking about what tomorrow is going to be, and we're reminding ourselves of what yesterday was. But in the midst of all of this, how are you you and I supposed to conduct ourselves or live or hope? The text answers this. And by doing so, the author is showing us the aim, where where the author is aiming our hearts, your and my hearts, and seeks to encourage us, God's people, to persevere all the way to our dying day, because at the end of time, God will give his people everlasting life. So in basic form, our text encourages God's people to persevere because God will give his people everlasting life. So how are you and I supposed to live in the midst of our time or tomorrow's time or weeks from now time? We are to be encouraged and persevere because at the end, 
God will give us and reward us with everlasting life. And by this, I think the text demonstrates this effect to us in two ways, two points, two ways to live. Here's all you need. First, be amazed at God's reign over all things. So first, in verses 5 through 9, be amazed, Christian, at God's reign over all things. Before his life's end, God has more revelation for Daniel, like I said earlier. Daniel sees in our text, imagine this, two others standing on different banks and then Maybe in the middle of them or beyond them, there is one hovering over the water, supernaturally hovering over the water. And one of these figures in the midst of Daniel's vision asks a fascinating question. He, he looks at the one hovering over the water and asks in verse 6, look at it there, how long shall it be to the end of these wonders? Now, I think he's thinking back on chapters 11 and 12, seeing persecution, seeing kingdoms out of control, seeing God's people in the midst of persecution. And also, he could be thinking of all the things that were exposed to Daniel in the preceding four or five chapters. The word wonders here refers to God's mighty acts of judgment and salvation. So how long shall it be to the end of these mighty acts of judgment and salvation? The angel wants to know how long persecution will last and how long God's people must endure to the end. How long? Maybe a question that many of you are either asking or are positioning yourself to be ready to ask. How long, O Lord, must we endure? Hearing and seeing one figure ask another figure would have piqued Daniel's interest, don't you think? Because he might have seen the vision before and may wonder the same. How long is this going to go on? Well, look at the answer in verse 7. The man clothed in linen who was upstream raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven. This is taking the form of an oath. Now, oftentimes an oath would just be taken by raising one of your hands. But this is a, a giant expression of sincerity where he would have raised both hands. And he says, and I heard him swear by the one who lives forever that it would be for a time, two times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be accomplished. So that's the answer that this group would have heard. The answer came immediately, but coincidentally, the understanding in Daniel's mind did not. The phrase that the man uses, a time, time, and half a time, and when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, these are, these are honestly mysterious phrases at best. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, we were told that the Antichrist shall wear out the holy ones of the Most High, and they shall be given into his power for a time, two times, and half a time. It's like sitting in a classroom, though, in Daniel's case, where he's, where he's hearing these things, and he might have a question. So imagine yourself in either you know, high school or college, and someone says something from the front, and that either piques your interest or you want a follow-up question, and so you ask that follow-up question, and a professor might say something that leaves you left with the expression of, wait, what? I don't understand. That only confused me a little bit more. Look at what is said here. Daniel wants to know the outcome of these things. The result, especially the result of the shattering of God's people. What does this mean? 
Will God's people be crushed? Is there really no end? What, what is the expressional meaning of time, times, and half a time? So Daniel asks in verse 8 the question, Oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And almost hilarious, at least for me, maybe because I'm in a position all the time of asking questions and, and being even more confused after people who are way smarter than me answer me. Almost hilariously in verse 9, what is Daniel told? Go away. <laughs> Tell me what this means. And he's told to go away and close the book. Now think of these numbers. These symbolic numbers add up to three and a half times. A time, two times, and half a time, three and a half times. The Bible, though, also denotes the number seven as a symbolic number of what? Perfection. So the number seven meaning perfection, and three and a half is half of seven. So therefore, time, two times, and a half a time, I think signifies a period of time that is short of a complete period of time. And so when we think about persecution, God's people enduring persecution, we can recognize that what is being told to us from the vision of Daniel is that it won't be forever. And in fact, there's an end point. Now, how can we be clear on this? How can I be clear on this and say that so confidently to you? I think the answer is within the text. The reality that Daniel doesn't understand this, so what makes Daniel different than us if we think we can understand this? The reality of this is that it says there in the text that words, that Daniel's words, or Daniel was told that his words should be shut up and sealed until the time of the end. So there should be a time, maybe at the end, we would just diagnosed from the text where the answer to this unfolding scroll would tell us what this means. He would have needed, though, I think, to live hundreds and hundreds more years to be able to, be able to understand the fullness of this text, where divine wisdom explaining this text would eventually show up, maybe about 400 years after Daniel's own life, on whom the end of the ages has come. But we've also seen this language before in Daniel. Remember Daniel chapter 7 and Daniel chapter 9. From Daniel chapter 9, remember the 70 weeks? Remember the 70th and final week in those 70 weeks of the vision of Daniel 9 verses 27, if you want to go back to it later. This final week of the 70 weeks, it was divided into two equal half weeks. So you could say three and a half days on both sides all of which was simply another way of saying a time, times, and half a time, and a time, times, and half a time. Also in chapter 9, though, so thirdly here, also in chapter 9, the first half week was probably a symbol referring to the fixed period of time leading up to Jesus Christ and to the fixed period of time after Jesus Christ to the end of the temple's destruction in Jerusalem in 70 AD. Also another apocalyptic text where we see in Revelation chapter 12, verse 14, where it says a time, times, and half a time, it's referring to the fixed season of persecution which the church would endure from Satan the dragon between the death and resurrection of Christ and his final consummation or his final coming back for his bride. So in thinking through these things, Daniel 9's dividing the 70th week in Daniel. Daniel 9 is depicting the final week as the life of Christ and the time between his life and his coming, or his life and his death 
and where the temple would be destroyed in 70 AD. And then Revelation 12 designated a season of persecution within the church. I think we can clearly understand it's the time that when we read the phrase time, times, and half a time, it's the time of suffering between the first and the second coming of Christ. So what I think Daniel is being exposed here is to the intense expression that the life of the church, as sweet and as great as it is to be in fellowship with one another, will face intense heat from the outside. Now, here's the point of this. Here's why I categorize this section as be amazed at God's reign over everything when I just told you the future of the church is intense persecution. I think we should be amazed at God's reign over everything because persecution will happen, because it will be over everything, because it will seemingly crush God's people's spirits, but here's why it will have a conclusion. Satan's reign, Satan's thrust, Satan's grip on souls against the church will run out. God is in complete control over everything, even evil. It is not outside of his bounds, and this is incredibly comforting. You think of how powerful evil is. I mean, think about it. You've ever encountered someone who's evil? or you've encountered kind of an evil season in life, or you've encountered maybe an evil business, or maybe an evil person in your family or a group of friends. And God is in control of all evil. And there will be a time where he will make it stop. So be amazed at this. Not just at the nature of his glory that we can see, but also the means by which he'll gain greater glory. We tend to think that when the church is strong, that the kingdom of God will finally come back to earth. We think if we just continue to clean up our lives and make our church better and make our lives better, then, then God will be so pleased with us that he will finally dawn again. But the angel actually tells us the opposite in this text, doesn't he? In the New Testament, Jesus says also that at that time there will be great suffering, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. This is from Matthew 24, verse 21, and then in 24, 22. And if those days had not been cut short for the sake of the elect, no one would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. The arrival of God's kingdom Here's what we see here. The arrival of God's kingdom on the other side of persecution is not accomplished by the church. The arrival of God's kingdom is not accomplished by you or me. The arrival of God's kingdom can't be done by us, but the arrival of God's kingdom will be done through purity, through persecution, through gold being refined by fire. It's evident that only God can bring his eternal kingdom on earth and that he alone deserves all the glory and honor. So when the Antichrist breaks the power of God's people, then all these things, the the wonders of the resurrection and God's glorious kingdom on earth, it will be accomplished. So how are we to live in the last days? Well, first we 
are to be amazed at God's reign over all things. We should be amazed at God's reign over all things. But second and last, two points this week. Rest in God's grace, but labor on. Second, how do you live in the times of the end? Rest in God's grace, Christian, but labor on. Look at verses 9 through 13. There are interesting parallels between the person of Daniel and the book of Daniel and the person of Jesus in our scriptures about Jesus, especially concerning the time of the end. You know, Daniel is a type of Jesus to where if we look at him, it makes us want to look at Jesus like a hundred times more, but we see this glimmer of godliness in his life. But, but here, there's not only a parallel in their lives, but also there's a parallel in how they are living in the time of the end. What Daniel alludes to here, that the kingdom of God is for the time of the end, Jesus actually proclaims as having coming as having come with his own ministry and inaugurating in God's kingdom in the time of the end. Look at Mark 14, or look at or write down Mark chapter 1 verse 14. It says the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, meaning he's talking about himself. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God, meaning he's pointing back to himself, is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. In fact, the parallels between Daniel and Daniel chapter 10 through 12 and Jesus in the gospels are so rich and are so many. Daniel was in a prolonged season of prayer and fasting over the delayed execution of God's will on God's earth in his place, and among his people. Jesus, we see in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was in an extended season of prayer and fasting as well. Not, not mentioned necessarily in Mark, but definitely mentioned in Matthew, where he was in an extended season of prayer and fasting at the embarkment of his own ministry. Both of them are referred to as greatly loved by the Lord. We see this in Mark 1 and also in Daniel 10. And while Daniel's visions are filled, this is my favorite part, Daniel's visions are filled with lions and tigers and bears and actually leopards and goats and rams, Jesus in Mark 1, well, where was he? He was amongst wild animals. Both are ministered to and strengthened by angelic beings. And in both passages, spiritual oppression to God's servants are mentioned. So in this, I think just giving these two parallels, I don't think Jesus is interpreting his life through the lens of Daniel, but, but in giving us these two passages, the Holy Spirit, I think through his inspiration and in writing these books and giving them to us, are wanting you and me to consider the words of Daniel and the life of Jesus through the lens of who will be told and what will be told as being sealed up until the end of time. Because what does Jesus say about his own life? It's the fulfillment of this. That Jesus came and fulfilled through his life and ministry the things that were once sealed up until the end of time. One thing that's implied in the emotion of our text and now in the parallel with Mark 1 and Matthew 4 is that repentance is something you either deal with or ignore. What did Jesus do when he said the kingdom of God is at hand? He said, repent and believe the gospel. What was written about in Daniel chapter 12? You're either wicked or righteous. You're either pursuing this or pursuing that. That in the last things, pressure will come. And frankly, you're either on God's side or 
you're against God altogether. The gospel makes clear to us that we all are naturally against God. Our our sinful nature, meaning you and I from the beginning are sinful, and you and I through our actions are sinful. And when we are spoken to or pointed to Christ by the Holy Spirit, we recognize that God is pure, And God is holy, and God is majestic, and God is awesome. And every good adjective you can think of, those came from the Psalms where where we would describe this heavenly Lord actually as something very different than us. And so we recognize him as all these good things, but actually makes us maybe look in the mirror and go, I'm not holy. I'm not righteous. And in fact, the text would say that I am wicked. I'm an enemy of God. And what is so gracious about God is he calls us to himself. He sends his spirit so that his spirit would renew our hearts or regenerate our hearts or or clean our hearts or make something that is black now white or make something that is impure now pure. And he does this by his love. And this causes us to turn to him and to place our trust in him, and to call out to him as our savior. We need him as our savior because we look around, and nothing around us can save us, and we look inside, and nothing inside us can save us because we are wicked, and we can call out to him as our savior, and he can save us because at his right time and at his good time, God the Father sent God the Son to be what you and I should have been, to live how you and I should have lived and ultimately to endure what you and I should have endured. Jesus came, the very Son of God came, and was perfect. He was perfect in every way. And people hated him because they're enemies of God, and and he is the Son of God, and, and he is very God, and truly God. And so they killed him. And they thought they would get away with killing him, but in reality, what Jesus through his death on the cross, actually accomplished was that God could now look at us and forgive us. God can now look at us and wouldn't pour his wrath out on us because he poured his wrath out on his son and his son now has people standing beside him, us, who call out to him in repentance and faith. So when we see in the book of Mark, this is a giant tirade, not in the text. When we see in the book of Mark or in the book of Matthew where the kingdom of God comes and says the kingdom of God is at hand and says, repent and believe in me. We repent and believe in him as our savior. He is now the object of our faith and nothing else is. And so when we read passages like this that talk about there's, there's a time where the church or all of earth will be pressured and things will be divided this way and that way, we, we need to ask ourselves, am I on the side of the wicked and why? Or am I on the side of the righteous? And because of who? So in this passage, we see a great parallel. For Daniel was brought down to understand that some people will prepare themselves to meet God while others will not. It says there in the text, many will purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall. Verse 11 author uh, offers us further detail on what the time of the end means. From, from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away, in the abomination that desolates is set up, there shall be 
1,290 days. At the end of time, even more powerful and a more evil ruler will emerge. This is what we notify or notice as the Antichrist, where he makes regular public worship illegal and he makes the worship of God impossible because he will punish people to death by when they are worshiping anything other than himself. He sets up another God, mostly himself, that will be promoted and exalted. In verse 7, we heard that the persecution would last a time, two times, and half a time. And in verse 11, it gets a little bit more precise. The length is given not just in times, but in actual days. This is incredibly encouraging to me. 1,290 days. The preciseness of our Lord when, when he unfolds the persecution that will come for the church. There is a day, and a day, and a day, and after so many days, it's over. Not just a general time, but particular days in symbolic form. The number of days makes the length of the persecution very precise and actually relatively short. Our God, who knows every detail of the future of his people, shows that persecution won't be a day longer than he decides. Verse 12 says, Blessed are those who persevere and attain the, uh, blessed are those who persevere and attain the 1,335 days. God's people need to persevere even beyond the 1,290 days of persecution. Here, they are told to persevere and attain 1,335 days. The, the different numbers may be odd to us at first sight, but the point is that God's people should persevere to the very end. Blessed are those who persevere, it says, to the very end of days. Our text says that, that what we should do in the end of the times or in the time of the ends is that we should be amazed at him, but also we should get to work. We should persevere. We should keep marching on. That's our mission every day, bringing glory to the Father by persevering in the faith. And we persevere because he will carry us through. An old confession in church history, the Westminster Confession of Faith, says this about the perseverance of the saints. They whom God hath accepted in his beloved, effectually calls and sanctifies by his spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. What this is talking about, what the Bible expresses in clear form, is that you can persevere to the end because it's God who carries you through. Another confession, the London Confession of 1689, says that though many storms, this is, this is why we can have hope in God bringing us through times of trial and persecution. Listen to almost the poetic form of this, classically written in Britain. And though many storms and floods arise and beat against them, yet they shall never be able to take them off the foundation and rock by, by the faith that they were fastened upon. Notwithstanding through unbelief and the temptations of Satan, the sensible light of the light and love of God may for a time be clouded and obscured from them, yet he is still the same, and they shall be sure to be kept by the power of God unto salvation, meaning in everlasting life. Where they shall enjoy their purchased possession, they shall be engraven upon the palm of his hands, and their names having been written in the book of life from all eternity. 
Friends, remember that the image that is shown to us in the book of Revelation is that at the very end, a book that was sealed is then opened and names are there. Meaning, if you are in Christ, your name is in the book of life. And it has been. And it always will be. And it always was. And there's one person who can open that book. Jesus spoke of the time of persecution and encouraged his followers to persevere to the end. He said, Then they will hand you over to be tortured and will put you to death. Then many will fall away. And because of the increase of lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus says persecution will come and this will scare people and they'll run away. But the one who endures will be saved. I'm reminded in conclusion of a story of a senior uh, systematic theology professor of a seminary in California where he was often cared for by his wife. You think of a busy man being wonderfully cared for by his wife. And then the later days of their life, she began to get sick and was losing her memory and was finally not able to care for herself at all. She wasn't able to eat for herself or clothe herself. And so finally, this man had to retire from his work. He had to retire from being cared for to where now he would now care for his bride. And one of the agonizing things that his wife would constantly say is, I'm so scared of forgetting who Jesus is. In the, in the midst, think about it, in the midst of all the things that you and I could be scared of, if we can't remember something, she was scared of not being able to remember Jesus. And he said that he would often comfort her or try to comfort her as best he could. You may, at a time, not remember who he is, but he has always remembered you. So what about you? How are you doing in your preparation? How are you doing in your endurance? How are you doing in following Jesus or crying out to Jesus or or placing yourself in the position of being able to worship him as he should be worshiped? In the final days, we're not promised everything we'd want, but we are promised to be kept by the one who loved us first. In God's love, he sent his son to save us and he will bring us through persecution all the way to the end everlasting life. Let's pray. Our Father, we call out to you in thankfulness, and we ask that you would guide us and encourage us to persevere. We pray that you would strengthen us. We pray that you would teach us. We pray that you would give us hope and give us rest. Oh Lord, you are so kind to us like you were kind to Daniel. We pray that you would give us the hope and the faith that you gave him. We pray this in the name of your faithful son, Jesus. Amen.